sometimes we get it mixed up. We think we think Jesus came to make the bad good. To make the bad people to turn them into good people. That's not what he did. He came to take that that was dead and bring it to life. To turn death into life and he demonstrated it with his own life. I absolutely love that when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he raised himself from the dead. He conquered death. If he, if he conquered death in his life, he did it so that we could know that he can conquer death in our life. But I want you guys to know for all the yucky, for all the ugly, for all the bad, for all the sin, his love is greater. His name, his character is greater. That wasn't in my notes. I just had to get up there and say that. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Mark. Uh, along with my wife, Kara, who is on the keyboard over here. She's now back in there with the kids. We have the honor of leading the team that leads this church. And uh, we love Jesus, and we love talking about Jesus. And so um, what an awesome day to stand up here and do exactly that. Uh, if you're a first-time guest uh, with us today, welcome. It's wonderful to have you with us. And for our church family, it's wonderful to have you here with us too. And for our guests, if you're looking for a church home, I hope this becomes your home and that you become church family because we, we've got an awesome, awesome little church here and God is doing some not so little things. So he's faithful. Um, let's pray. And then I'm going to talk more about Jesus. Um, Lord, you're so good. You're so good. And so right now we just keep our hearts open to you. And if for some reason uh, there are any of us here that Maybe we were a little guarded. Right now, we just intentionally let our guard down for the purpose of letting you speak to us. Not just through a generic word spoken to a, to a group. But Holy Spirit, you do that amazing thing where you personalize the words that are being spoken and you bring them straight to our hearts so that you are speaking to us. We say, do that, Lord. Not say, do that, Lord. Go beyond my notes or my preparation. Go beyond my planning, Lord, and you have your way. Lord Jesus, we cite you. In Jesus' name, amen. What are the consequences of not believing someone who is completely honest? What are the consequences of not trusting someone who is completely and utterly trustworthy? I'd like to give some answers to those today. What are the consequences of not believing someone who is absolutely honest? We miss out. We miss out on truth. When someone who is completely and utterly honest speaks and we choose not to hear or not to believe or not to live, we miss out on truth. There's a lot of talk about truth, hunger for truth, searching for truth. And I'm here to tell you today that when we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about someone who has demonstrated that he is utterly and completely honest. 
and true. What are the consequences of not trusting someone who is 100% trustworthy? We miss out. We miss out on goodness. We miss out on love, on life, on laughter, on happiness. We miss out on adventure and a life that is rich and fulfilled. We miss out on the kind of reward that is worth taking a risk for. So now the question, how do we know if someone is honest? Right? How do we know if they're honest? How do we know if they can be trusted? How do we know if we can lend trust, can give trust to them and what they're saying? And how do we know that we can be vulnerable and let our guard down? I have a couple answers that I think are good. Of course, I think they're good. I wouldn't get up here and preach to them if I thought they were bad answers. The best answers I came up with are validation and motivation, right? Somehow we've got to get to a point of validation to see if what is being said, if truth to it, if there's valid, if it's proved to be right, and also motivation. What is someone's motivation? What's at the heart of what drives them? What's at the heart of why they're doing what they do? What is their motivation? So we're going to look at both of these things, validation and motivation. And just to encourage us, we, we make decisions based on those things. What we perceive to be valid, what we have weighed and measured, and what we have determined valid, and what someone's motivations are. So if you turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark, we're going to kind of you know flip forward from Mark 8 to Mark 9 to Mark, Mark 10. You've got your Bible apps or your digital devices. Um, we're going to be there just a big chunk of, of where we start this message. And we're going to see that with very simple words, Jesus warned his disciples three times about what was on the horizon, about what was to come. Jesus prepares them for unprecedented things that would happen to him next. And Jesus is faithful to do so three times. I don't even know if I'm a three-time reminder kind of guy. If Connor's, if, if he said he's going to take me to the airport on Monday, you know, I'd be like, all right, hey, you know, here's what time my flight leaves. Here's what time I'd like to be there. You know, here's what time you can pick me up. Thanks for taking me. That's one. He's going to get number two. He's going to get number two at some point. I'm going to be like, hey, um, just to remind you, I'm sure you remember, I'm sure you haven't forgotten and you know made other plans, but you're taking me to the airport tomorrow. Be at my house at this time. And I'm going to, you want coffee? I'll have coffee for us. And, and then two is, two's good. I mean, you know, threes it might be a bit excessive. At three, he's like, dude, you uh, find another ride. Find another ride. Well, Jesus, three times in a very short span, prepares his disciples for what would happen. So let's read the first of those in Matthew chapter 8. We're going to read 27 through 33. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Hey, uh, who do people say that I am? And they told him, um, some people say you're John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others, they say you're one of the prophets. And Jesus asked them, 
Okay. But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the one true Son of God. You are the fulfillment of centuries of prophecies. You're the anointed one who has come to save and to heal and to deliver. That's what his answer was. See, we, we know Jesus as Jesus Christ. And so we take it lightly. But this was absolutely radical, absolutely inspired by God. He wasn't speaking of his own knowledge. They revealed to him by God, you are the Christ. You're the fulfillment. Since I was a boy, I've heard the Messiah would come. And you're the fulfillment. You're the Messiah. My parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents all talked about the coming of the Messiah that's who you are, Jesus. That's the answer. Peter Grave gave a pretty fantastic answer. Who do you say I am? You are the Christ. Verse 30. And Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and three days later, rise again. And he said this plainly. He didn't use complicated words. He just spelled it out quite simply. And Peter, who's riding a hot streak, I mean, with his last divine aunt, Peter's riding a hot streak and he's got to be feeling pretty good about himself. When Jesus said this, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke Jesus for what he said. Holy cow, hot streak over. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Do you argue with God? Do you ever think you're right and God's wrong? That you just, you know a little bit better about how to manage your life than God would know how to manage your life. Anyone other than me ever do that? Peter thinks he knows best right here. And Jesus says, your, your, your mind's not set on kingdom. Your mind is set on, on earthly I'm here to do is much bigger and what I'm doing requires obedience to the Father and what I'm doing will save lives not hundreds not thousands not tens of thousands not hundreds of thousands not millions not billions and just what I'm doing is about saving lives and what I'm doing is about obedience to the loving Father that's ever lived and I'm just here to represent His love Here we see Jesus warning his disciples about what would happen to him. Rejection. Murder. His death. The time he would spend in the tomb. And then most importantly, his resurrection. Jesus was trying to warn them of the unimaginably horrific. Followed by the un imaginably terrific. He says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to die. 
but three days later, I'm going to rise up. You think in Peter's rebuke of Jesus, he heard that last part about, I'm going to rise up? You think in Peter's rebuke of Jesus, he heard that last part that said, I'm going to conquer death. High fives. It's going to be incredible. I wonder how often we do the same thing. We get locked on something. We get fixated on a piece of negativity. And and then we never move past it. And we fail to hear the promises of God. I know I do that. Next chapter, we see the next warning. So if you flip to the very next chapter, chapter 9, we see the next warning from Jesus. So in verse 30, they went on there and passed through Galilee. So Jesus is, you know, in his hometown. And he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, right? He didn't want the masses. He didn't want the crowds because his time was very focused right now. He was pouring into his disciples and saying to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. If I can just pause there real quick. In all three of these accounts of warnings, Jesus refers himself in the third person. He speaks to the Son of Man. The Son of Man is going to happen. Is going to, this is what's going to happen to the Son of Man and this is what they're going to do to the Son of Man. And I want to share, share a little bit of insight as to why. Because right now, this being spoken forth is not some man talking about himself. This is God speaking of his plan and his purpose. And so it makes sense that it's being spoken in the third person. God is saying, this is what's going to happen. He is speaking with authority right now. He is speaking with promise. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the same. And they were afraid to ask him. They didn't understand and they were afraid to ask him. Not understanding is understandable, right? Not understanding is understandable. But having the fear or the pride of not having the answer, having, having fear of looking stupid or sounding ignorant, that's not understandable. I think we see, we see the humanity of Jesus in the midst of this divinity of Jesus, that we're supposed to have a relationship with this man. And you guys, he is approachable. He is available. He is present. And when we don't understand things, we can ask, Jesus, help me again. I don't understand. Now, I'm telling you, we can come that informally to Jesus. It's not disrespectful. It's not religious. We can come just like that. Jesus, talk to me. Would you give me understanding? Holy Spirit, would you guide me in the truth of this? I just don't understand. See, those are really good questions, and there's so many good questions we could ask. The problem is we're so busy, we ask and then we just move about our, our day. We ask and then we don't sit there and listen. We don't sit there and spend time with him to give him a chance to respond. We, we have too much of this instant mindset, this microwave mindset where we want it and we want it now. Not understanding is understandable. You guys, 
Jesus makes this radical statement, which I absolutely love. He's like, it is better that I go away. It is better that I go away. I'm telling you the truth. You don't understand. But it's better that I go away. Because if I don't go away, then the Holy Spirit can't be sent. And the Holy Spirit can guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit, He will teach you. He will comfort you. And the disciples might have been like, oh, can I, Jesus, isn't that what you're doing? Aren't you teaching us? Aren't you guiding us? Aren't you providing comfort to us? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Holy Spirit's going to do it and he's going to do it to everyone everywhere. And trust me, it's better. It's better. There's, I've got the way. So that's my little commercial on talking to the Lord, on relationship with the Lord. I'm asking him questions. And we don't have to come to him, Oh, Holy One, we beseech thee on, in the of all righteousness and we bow before thee. And, and you can just talk to him. Jesus, help. Jesus, I don't understand. God, I need you. All the time. Let's turn one more chapter forward as we see the third bit of preparation that Jesus gives his disciples. In Mark 10, 32 through 34, it says, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And when he says see, I imagine there being like a skyline, him going like, See, we're going up to Jerusalem. It's not far off. See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and they will spit on him and they will flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. If I can just point out the obvious, Jesus gets it. He understands. He's been betrayed. He's been mocked. He's been spit at. He's been rejected. He's been wounded. He's been unfairly accused. He gets it. Whatever the heaviness is that you and I carry, he gets it. He does. You talk to him about it. He's not going to talk over you. We can just be in his presence and just talk and he gets it. And he's faithful to heal. He's faithful to touch. In the book of Mark, and in pretty short order, we see three times Jesus prepared his disciples for what would happen so that they wouldn't be caught off guard. Three times Jesus made the most detailed, specific, non-vague, plainly worded prophetic declaration about what was going to happen to him, including his rejection and arrest and betrayal and murder and death, his burial, his time in the tomb, and his resurrection from the dead. Want to know what happened? Everything he said would happen. Everything he said would happen, happened. You want to know how it happened? Exactly the way he said it would happen. 
It all went down exactly as Jesus said it would. And again, the most important thing that Jesus was right about was that after he died, that he would conquer death and rise up out of the grave. Earlier I asked, how could we know if someone was honest? How do we know if someone is worthy of our trust and worthy of our vulnerability? And what did I answer with? Do you guys remember? Like there should have been a graph up there that says validation and motivation. The answer is kind of right there. Validation. The correct prediction that Jesus would die, but more importantly, that he would raise himself from the dead. Validated Jesus and his entire ministry. The fact that he, he prepared his disciples and he prophesied as to what was going to happen and it went down exactly as it did is validation. Validation is defined by New Oxford as the action of proving the validity or accuracy of something. The action of proving the accuracy of something. The absurd and seemingly impossible yet 100% correct prediction that he would die, that three days later that he would rose, that he would raise from the tomb, completely validated Jesus. His resurrection proved the validity of everything else that Jesus would go on to say. And here's the great news. Jesus had more to say. He had more to say. He had more to say about you and about me, about our lives, about his plan for us, about his faithfulness to reach the deepest part of our lives, to heal. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Word of God is full of words that speak to his promises all of which were validated by his resurrection. If he was right about that, then he's right about everything else. Validation. But his validation required action. It required action. It required a life lived fully obedient to the Father. It required a life lived of spending time with the Father which we see all throughout the word, Jesus would get away. He would get away by himself. He would spend time with the Father. So when he talked about the Father, he knew what he was talking about. He knew the heart of the Father. He knew that it was good and only good. He knew the pure motives. He knew the Father because he had a life of spending time with the Father, of studying Scripture. He had trust. The Father told him what the man was, and Jesus said, I trust you. If that's the plan, that's what I'm doing. If that's how you want me to represent your love, that's what I'm doing. That's your plan that included his death. But it didn't end with his death. Too many times we get hung up on the fact that our life has different forms of death, just crummy things that we have to walk through. But it's never supposed to end with the death. It's not. But it's also never supposed to be 
just within our own strength. It's supposed to be relying upon the Lord, believing and trusting in Him and walking in His strength. Alone, I can't do it. Alone, you can't do it. Heck, we've tried. We've tried. We thought we had a good grasp on what our plan was. We thought we had a pretty good grasp on our sense of control. We thought we were a pretty good driver. And yeah, give me the wheel. We're wrong. We're not smart enough. And that's not, that's not some sort of slam on how smart we are or aren't. We're just not smart enough to know everything that lies ahead and the, the solution of it on our own. But we're not alone. What other promises of Jesus were validated with the resurrection? All of them. All of them. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, Jesus says, I will never forsake you. I will never run out on you. I will never betray you. So that means in the hardest of times, he was there. So then we go to, well, Lord, if you were there, why didn't you stop it? That's not what he does. He's not a manipulator. Lord, why didn't you stop this? Why didn't you jump in and intervene? In God's wisdom, that's not what he does. He's not a puppet master. He's up there controlling our lives. We have, but yay, we have free will, and aw, we have free will. Because sometimes we make bad decisions and stupid decisions and sometimes people make evil and harmful decisions. But we can ask him, Lord Jesus, when I went through this, where you? can you show me where you were? You say in Romans 8 that you will turn all things for the good of those who love you. And I love you for the good of those who are called according to your purpose. And Lord, I'm called according to your purpose. So how are you going to turn this for my good? Open my eyes to see. I, man, I love a good question. I do. I love lots of good questions. But in the asking of those good questions, we've got to have an openness to listen and to receive. Mark, where's that, that, that money you said you left at my house? Where'd you, where'd you leave it? Wonderful question. The answer would be fruitful for you if you'll sit and listen, right? Jesus proved that he was honest. Vulnerable. It was the very definition of vulnerable. He thought of his own life, not in terms that his life was his own. And he laid down his life. It's safe to say that Jesus has proven himself worthy of our trust. And we can stamp validation on what he said and what he did. So what about motivation? John 3, 16 through 18 says this, and it talks about motivation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The father so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved to him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed 
He has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. He has not believed in the character and the goodness of the only Son of God. Love. His motivation was love. What's in it for you? You're being awfully nice. What's in it for you? What do you mean? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm no dummy. There's got to be some reason you're being this nice. What's in it for you? Love. I love my father. He, he, wants, he wanted me to tear down the wall of sin and shame and death and curse. So I, I love my father and I love you. I love the Holy Spirit. Love. My motivation is love. Jesus' answer is love. His motivation is love. And see, it's not just love for us. I make that clear. For God so loved the world. Yes. He does love us. But also his love for the Father. Because it was a sacrifice that was required. A laying down of his life. His motivation is powerful. It is love. His motivation was unbreakable. He was unbreakable. He was unbreakable. What he endured, no man has ever endured. And he did it for the joy set before him. You want to know what the joy set before him is? It's you. It is. The joy set before him is you. And it is me. That's what he saw. The joy set before him. Motivation. Talk about what allowed him to endure such hardship. The joy set before him. His love for the Father and obedience and his love for you and I. We don't believe in penance. Not that we had to pay, but someone had to pay. Jesus had to pay. We don't have to pay penance now. We just have to believe. We just have to repent. Wonderful world repents. That word is wonderful. Metanoia means change our minds that leads in a change of action. Lord, you say to do this and I'm going to do this. I'm going to change my mind about this and I'm going to serve to you and I'm going to do it your way because I know I know action has to follow. Action has to follow. For my life to reflect the, the validation of Jesus Christ and the power, action has to follow and that action is trust. That action is belief. What are the consequences of not believing one who is absolutely honest? We miss out on truth. so good what are the consequences of not trusting the one who is trustworthy we miss out on goodness guys we miss out on life and life to the fullest on life most abundantly so what are the results if we will believe what are the results if we will believe if we will trust Let's look at what his other words, other things he spoke to see what other results if we will believe. John twenty thirty one. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you have 
life in his name, his character, his authority. Hebrews 11.1 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For who would ever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I love that. He rewards those who seek him. I still seek him. Even though I found him, I still seek him. I want to know more of his heart. I want to, I want to act more like him. Man, you catch me at the wrong time. I, there's times I don't act like him. Don't look like him. Don't sound like him. I want to reflect him more and more and more. So I seek him. And that comes with just being with him. It's not some religious act of read this many chapters a day and pray for, for you know this amount of time every day. But here is what it is. And there is wonderful things. There's benefits to spending time in his word. There are. But it's not supposed to be some religious act. It's supposed to be a hunger and a seeking. If he says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you, then his presence is with us always. We just forget it way too often. We just don't realize it. That at any given moment we can say, Lord, can you make me aware of your presence? Because I just feel troubled. And I, there's nothing about my day that can bring peace. Can you bring me peace right now, Lord God? Will you bring me peace right now? Would you make me aware of your presence? Because I know in your presence there's fullness of joy. And in your presence, there's fullness of peace. And in your presence, there's fullness of hope. And in your presence, there's fullness of love. There's fullness. 10, 9 through 13. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scriptures say... Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. I love that. There's no distinction. Check this out. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. There is no distinction between dirty, run sinner and well-mannered church girl who's gone to church her whole life. There's no distinction between the one who and really seems to have it all together. And they walk pretty strongly most of the time, or at least that's the way it seems. There's no distinction between that person and the one that's like, man, homeboy can't ever put the pieces together. He's constantly blowing it. Whatever the extremes are, whatever the extremes are, there's no distinction. We need Jesus. And salvation is found in believing and putting our trust in him. No distinction. So wherever you are, wherever you fit in that spectrum, or maybe I'll say this, whatever lie it is the enemy likes to throw in your face, there's no distinction. We need Jesus. I need Jesus. Pastor Mark needs Jesus. I have Jesus. But I promise you, there's days I say, Jesus, I need you right now. I feel so empty right now. I just need you right now. I'm calling on your name. Would you just rush to me right now? Jesus has never been about religious obligations, but always about a growing, thriving relationship with him. And God wants us whole. 
See, there's a message here for those who have never trusted in the Lord. There's a message here for those about placing their trust in God. But I'm also here preaching to a room full of people who many, many of us have already trusted in the Lord and given our lives to Him. And we still need to put our trust in Him daily. Not get saved daily. You're saved. You're saved. That's not what that is. You're saved. But you're going to face hardships tomorrow that you didn't see coming. And it's called life. And I don't care how good a Christian you are and how faithfully you've walked. Life is life. And hardships come. And when they come, we run to Him. And we place our trust in Him. And the only way to do that is to set in our hearts that He is trustworthy. Right? That He's trustworthy. That we can come to Him with our hurts and He's not going to fall over our hearts and kick us while we're down and that, that you know, He's not going to eat the wounded. And so we run to Him and we say, Lord, I need You. Lord, I need You. I'm Yours. I need You. You guys, we carry so much baggage in our soul. And and these suitcases are so full of hurts and lies and betrayals and sin and failure and death. You name it. But the point of my message, I just need to make abundantly clear. He's true. He's trustworthy. So you can take it all to him and you can unzip it and you can say, there it is, Lord. There's all of it, Lord. There's the good, the bad, the ugly, the secretive, the hard to talk about, the uncertain, the uncomfortable, the unconfident. There it is, Lord. I bring it to you because I don't know what to do with it. But I trust that you do. You guys, that can only be done if we set in our hearts that He's true, that He's honest, and that He's trustworthy.